It's time for a Sugar Bowl crossover. You are Locked On Huskies, your daily podcast on the Washington Huskies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a crossover edition of the Lockdown Huskies and Lockdown Longhorns podcast. I'm Roman Tomashoff with Lockdown Huskies. That's Jonathan Davis with Lockdown Longhorns. And Jonathan, we're going to have a lot of fun today. And just a reminder, and thank you to everybody for making this your first watch or first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. All right, Jonathan, I, I, I feel like all the everydayers know why we're here. We're previewing the Sugar Bowl. It's awesome. We got we got a chance to just, you know, catch up a little bit before the show started. Really loving the Grizzlies jersey you got on over there. So let's let's get into the Sugar Bowl talk here, man. Let's have some fun. Yes, sir. Yo, 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 yo. You know, I I, I thought about it as we were talking before the show, and I said, man, you know, and, and it's two locked on Hussies hosts. Unfortunately, we only got Roman, you know, with us right now. May have some surprises during the show. We'll see. But I said, man, Roman has to be the, the luckiest host on the Lockdown Podcast Network because this is his first season covering the Huskies, and the Huskies just happened to be 13-0 this year. So Roman has not had to cover a loss on Lockdown Huskies yet. Hopefully, on Monday night or Tuesday, that changes. So this team has won 20 straight games dating back to last season. Their last loss was October 8th of 2022 against Arizona yep. State. I don't know what happened that day. But what is the biggest reason for that win streak in your opinion, Rome? So first of all, we don't really talk about that day anymore. It's 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 well behind <laughs> us at this point. You know, it's and, and especially the the end of that season was pretty fantastic, got to say. Um but so one of the biggest things is getting everybody to come back this year was so big for this team because Washington had just kind of a united front where after Michael Penix announced that he was going to return for the 2023 season, everybody just kind of fell in line. Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, Roma Dunze, the edge rushers, Braylon Trice and Zion Tupolo Fatui, Troy Fautanu could have left uh, the, the left tackle where everybody just kind of fell in line and said, okay, we're going to go make a run for a national championship. And through all the struggles that we've seen this season, it, it just that message, that united front, that just unity was the word they kept using. We saw that pop up over and over and over again, where it didn't matter what was in this team's way. They always found a way to overcome. Was it always pretty? No, definitely not. But they always found a way to keep winning. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. And it feels like that was a similar thing for Texas, too, especially once Quinn Ewers went down. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when you talk about. I guess this year, right, you know, coming off the loss to to Washington last year, you know, this year felt different, right? And you had the, I guess, roadblock, you know, in the middle of the year against Oklahoma. But once you got over, you know, the hump and beating Alabama on the road and, you know, getting that first signature win in the career of Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, you kind of felt like, oh, okay, the expectations for this team are different now. You know what I mean? Like the ceiling of this team is different and, you know, um, we have different expectations for them, I should say. You know, we all came into the season thinking that this team was capable of winning a Big 12. And in fact, they were the favorites, I think, by a good margin to win the Big 12 championship this year. And they went out and did that. But once they beat Alabama, we looked at this team 
and said, oh, OK, they can make it to the college football playoffs. And if they get there, they can win uh, the national championship. So, you know, I don't think that we had a ton of players, you know, like you just described that uh, were going to leave and decided to stay. You know, of course, we had Bijan, Roshan and you know, DeMarvin Overshone and, and those guys that, you know, went on to the NFL. But, you know, Sark has just done such a good job of building this roster, you know, over the last three years since he got here in 2021. And I think that we always looked at this being the year, right? Year three under Steve Sarkeesian, year two under Quinn Ewers. This could be the year that Texas took that big leap or took the next step. And, you know, we've been saying that for a decade, but for the first time in over a decade, what we thought about this team preseason actually came to fruition during the season. So, you know, good things all around for Washington and Texas fans. For Texas, this is their first time in the college football playoff. But for Washington, this is a return visit, right? They made yep. the college football playoff in 2016 before losing to Bama 24-7. And I went back and looked at that box score, and this is going to piss Washington fans off. But how did you lose a game where Jalen Hurts had like 50 passing yards, right? I guess this, this is when Alabama was stacked everywhere, right? Oh, think, yeah, that, that yeah. defense that year was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I think Bo Scarborough had two touchdowns in that game. Yeah. My question to you is, what gives you more confidence that this team can win it all this year compared to that team in 2016? Is it the group of players you have specifically now with this coaching staff? Or is it the field? Do you think the field is a little bit easier to navigate this year than it was in 2016? Or do you think you just have a way better team than you did in 2016? Tread so lightly, you know, Texas question. fans are listening to this, you know, tread lightly. <laughs> so that's that's a really good question, because that's actually where I wanted to take this, where I want to just kind of compare and contrast those two teams. And the biggest difference is that this is a much more physical team where while Booger McFarland might not think that, you know, that's that, that, that that's that's its own issue. But while Booger McFarland might not think that this is a, a more physical team. Uh, this Washington team, their offensive line is so much bigger, so much better than the one we saw in 2016, where they just got overpowered, where you go back and you look at you, you watch that game and you see one team that just really belonged there. And one that was just kind of there, the one guy that, and, and this is just my segue because I've talked about Vita Vea any way I possibly can, whenever I possibly can. He was the one guy on the field who really looked like he just belonged physically that day. Where, there, of course, there are a whole lot of other NFL guys in that field, right? Buda Baker, John Ross, Dante Pettis, whole bunch, Jake Browning, of course, where there are a whole bu a bunch of other NFL guys on that field. But they didn't necessarily have that physical edge where that's something that we've seen from Kalen DeBoer's team, from something that they've been able to do. They, they're just, they're much more physical now where it looks more like what you want in the Big Ten. That's something you talked about with this most recent recruiting class going into um, the 2024 class where you said, these are the kind of bodies that we want going into the Big Ten. And we kind of have already seen that. But Jonathan, one of the questions that I had for you uh, is you, you talk about the, just the differences between this, this Washington from the last one. One person that Washington, they actually, let, let, let's stick with the one for now. One person that Washington fans know really, really well is Steve Sarkeesian. How has he just kind of adapted over his years at Texas to get them to this point? Yeah, well, I think it, um, you know, it's just like a reminder, you know, that, that you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and it takes time, right? Because year one, you know, Steve Sarkeesian goes five and seven. Year one, Pete Kukowski has, you know, one of the worst defenses in college football. And, you know, everybody's ready to move on because the standards and the expectations are so high at the University of Texas. And now in year three, I don't think any Texas fan will replace either one of them. Um, so I think it's just been a three-year effort of building up this roster and, 
building up this culture within the building and, you know, being able to put a product on the field that, you know, wins games and plays at a high level. I spoke on my show yesterday about how great organizations um, are led from the top down. And I think what you're seeing on the football field now is a direct result, a direct reflection of the leadership of Steve Sarkeesian and Chris Del Conte. In terms of Steve Sarkeesian's role on the field, I think there's been some concerns or some question marks over the first couple of years in his tenure at the University of Texas, because it felt like Texas would come out guns a blazing, right, with his offensive script and taking leads in the first half. But it just kind of felt like Texas could not reach that same level of physicality in the second half. They could not reach that same level of focus in the second half. And we saw an inability to win uh, games on the road. We saw an inability to hold, you know, halftime leads. Two losses that Texas had last year against Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, they had double-digit leads. So I think you're just seeing a team now that is built physically, to last 60 minutes over the course of a football game. You're seeing a team that has the roster talent to be able to go out and beat anybody in the country. And you're seeing Steve Sarkeesian, I think, take that next step as a head coach and a play caller, right? I think he's always been one of the best offensive minds, play designers, and play callers in college football. But I think he took that next step this year in terms of being able to match the moment, right? You know, when there's certain games that are in the margins or when there's certain drives where you need to play a big play or you need to make something happen, you need to make some magic happen. I feel like for the most part, Steve Sarkeesian executed at a high level in all of those situations this year. So I think that this has been a three-year culmination of roster building and culture building, but I also think he took that next step as a head coach and a play caller this year. And with all of the talent around him, that's why Texas is two wins away from a national championship. I like that a lot. So Jonathan, this is this has been a, a great way to start, but – before we can go any further, we got to get in some ads here. <laughs> and we got to give a shout out to our good friends over at Game Time because you shouldn't be stressed when you're trying to buy tickets, especially if you're trying to buy tickets to the Sugar Bowl. That's Game Time is a great place to do that. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Some of the best things about Game Time are their last minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, all kinds of deals. You get views from every single seat in the venue. Game Time is obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. They have tickets on uh, they have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even up to an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute seats with zone deals. You pick the section and game time picks and seats for an average of 18% savings. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time, download the game time app, create an account and use code lockdown college for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account and redeem code L O C K E D O N C O L L E G E for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. And as we keep going here, Lars Hansen is here. Lars, great to have you here. And we're we're just gonna like keep moving right along here. So, Jonathan, we were talking about how each team has changed, and you said you had a couple of questions that you wanted to make sure you got in for us. I know we've got some that we're gonna throw your way as well. So feel free to fire away. All right. Yes, sir. So, you know, I think that the quarterback matchup is, is very interesting in this game. I think the passing offense matchup as a whole is, is very interesting. And I think that if you told anybody after this game that, you know, Washington had the more productive passing offense, nobody would think that's crazy. If you told people that Texas had the more productive passing offense, nobody would think that's crazy. But when you look at Michael Penix Jr. over the last two years at Washington, 24 and two record, almost 9000 passing yards over the last two seasons. What has he meant for this program? Because if I remember correctly, before Michael Penix Jr. showed up, this was a four-win football team, right? Lars, do you want to take this one? <laughs> oh, 
Man, how long you got? And I, I know we don't have long. And so I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. So the, what I told Roman this, said we've said it on our show multiple times. This offense and this team was built in 2020 and 2021. Michael Penix kind of brought it together, but really it's not even just Michael Penix. It has nothing to do with Penix. I think Dylan Morris, he wouldn't have gotten them this far, but he would have been much better than he was in 21 because they have actual offensive coaching and actual leadership on the sideline. Only that's really different. Roman, you yes. can take it from there. I just wanted to lay that foundation, and you you can say it a little more eloquently than I will. I I I appreciate the alley-oop there. Yeah, like of course we can't deny Michael Penix's talent, right? Like that's that's besides the point. But to to what Lars is talking about, the 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 narrative of a four-win football team is absolutely accurate to a certain to a certain point, but it all fell on the coaching staff, where that coaching staff just kind of stopped trying at a certain point. John Donovan coaches defense somewhere in the NFL now. doesn't even coach. He's like an analyst. But the fact that that guy was the offensive coordinator with Roma Dunze, with Jalen McMillan, with Jalen Polk, all the talent was still there. The, the, the foundation was built through a couple of recruiting classes at the end of the Chris Peterson era. And now we're finally seeing the fruits of his labor starting to pay off there because all these guys were willing to come back and willing to give this new coaching staff a chance. And then Michael Penix, was just kind of the the bow on top, for lack of a better term, where he brought it all together, and then we see what guys like Dylan Johnson have done in the offense as well. But yeah, no, that's that, I, I feel like that's that's the best way to put that. So you feel as though that Michael Penix Jr. was more of the missing piece rather than yes. you know he he was not the one that turned Washington around. He was just the missing piece to get them back on track and you know playing competent football on the football field. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Yeah, no, okay. that's that's a good way to put it. Where Kalen DeBoer put it all in place. Michael Penix is the one who finally was like, all right, yeah, I I, okay. I will help get you guys there. All right, all right. You know, there's nothing wrong with being uh, the cherry on top instead of the actual cake. What I want to ask you all really quickly, and, you know, you could just give me a yes or no, and then we can move on. And I want to answer from both of y'all. Was Michael Penix Jr. snub for the Heisman? Just yes or no, no explanation, no, yes. no context, yes. no nothing. All right, yes. there we go. All right. Any questions for me on the Longhorn side for the what do Washington fans want to know about Quinn Ewers of this Texas football team? So let's do, Lars, you want to go first? Well, uh, uh, I'll just get the joke right out of the way. How much different is Quinn without his mullet? <laughs> <laughs> He's professional, you know what I mean? Like he okay, you know, that, I, he because the, there's an actual he, question and an actual answer. Right now, <laughs> no, yeah, he cut the mullet off. You know, I think it was, you know, he talked about, you know, if we're if we're being serious, he talked about yeah. how he felt like he let down his teammates, he let down himself and he let down the University of Texas. And, and he felt like the feeling he had last year, he never wanted to feel again. You know, whether it was fair or not, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Right. You know, he's been talked about since he was in middle school, you know, in Texas. And in terms of high school, you know, he was legendary. Right. In terms of what he could do at South Lake Carroll. And then, you know, obviously he leaves high school early, you know, gets a bag, you know, goes to Ohio State and then that doesn't work out. And then the way that he played at Texas last year, he looked like, you know, the next Tate Martell or the next, you know, just super hype quarterback that didn't turn into anything in college football. And I think, you know, once again, it just comes back to it takes time for these things to materialize. And he's been all world this year, especially in the latter part of the season. So, um, you know, it was a joke at the time that, you know, he's approaching this year more business like and he's cutting off the mullet and, you know, he wants to be a franchise quarterback. But I really think that was symbolism uh, based on what he turned into this year. You know, he wanted to have a more serious approach. He wanted to be a leader and he wanted to be the quarterback that put Texas back on top, you know, at the pinnacle of college football. And he's certainly done that up until this point. So 
my my question just kind of in in the realm of Quinn Ewers is obviously Xavier Worthy comes comes back, but now we we're, we're watching guys like A.D. Mitchell. The tight end's name is I I really like him. His name is escaping me off the top of my head. J.T. But, Sanders. Yes, J.T. Sanders. Where having that that group of of pass catchers around him, how much has that been able to help him out this season? Well, I think it's, you know, continuity, right? You know, Xavier Worthy was his number one target last year. JT Sanders was there last year. You know, you talked about how you've had the, you know, same receiving core forever, it seems like, at Washington. Uh, you know, Jordan Whittington has been at Texas since 2018. So, you know, you return your your three most, I guess, proficient targets last year in the passing game, and then you brought in Adonai Mitchell from Georgia, who – all he does is win, right? His first two years of college football, two-time national champion with four touchdowns in those four playoff games. So, you know, I think that just with his maturation, you know, I think the offensive line has gotten better. I think the running game stayed the same because it's hard to get much better than having B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Um, and I think the, you know, like I said, the receiving core has been more productive. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian has done a better job of putting all of the ingredients together, you know, this year. So um, I think it's just a combination of everything. Quinn Ewers is, has certainly been better, but he has a ton of talent around him. That talent has improved. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian, I think, has done a better job of, you know, putting everything together. And, you know, we've seen the year two jump, right? We talk about that all the time with, with college quarterbacks and you know, I don't think anybody, you know, ever again might take a Joe Burrow jump, you know, in year two. But Quinn Ewers certainly took a, a big jump because there were times last year where he looked like he forgot how to play football, you know, right? And now he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in college. And we've heard rumblings that he could come back for uh, a third year. And, you know, definitely if he comes back, you know, next year, he looks like the leading, you know, favorite preseason to win the Heisman. So I think it's just been a work in progress since day one. And, you know, we finally gotten to a point to – where the talent that we saw in high school is showing up in a productive way on the college football field, as we all expected when he was the number one overall recruit in high school and one of the highest graded recruits of all time. But speaking of skill positions, because we've talked about, you know, all the receivers and Michael Penix Jr. and this super explosive passing game. But what we haven't talked about is Dylan Johnson. And I think one of the X factors in this game on both sides can be the running game, right? Because, you know, Texas does have some really talented backs, but the last time we saw them, they both averaged less than four yards a carry. And, Dylan Johnson has been really good. And I think in the best games, you know, in the biggest games for Washington, he had his best games, 100 plus yards against four ranked opponents and 89 against Oregon State this year. But he is going against the third, you know, ranked rush defense in the country. So how do you expect him to be utilized against this Texas defense? And do you think Dylan Johnson needs to have a big game for Washington to pull up what Vegas is calling an upset? Lars, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the drum that I beat the entire season where no matter how good Penix is, no matter how you can throw for five touchdowns, you have to have a semblance of a run game. You have to be able to be a consistent run game or consistent threat running the ball. And Dylan Johnson, of the backs that they have that are healthy, has been the only guy capable of providing consistent threat drive after drive. The problem is Ryan Grubb hasn't necessarily called it that way from a play calling perspective on, you know, as the offensive coordinator. So I think that's more or less where the trouble might be. But I think no question about it, they have to be able to run the ball. I mean, you saw it towards the end of the season where had they not run the ball against Oregon State, they'd probably lose that game. Have they not run the ball in very and by the way, in various ways to your point about Dylan Johnson, but even in various ways against Washington State, they don't win that game. So I think no matter how they run the ball and who runs it, certainly Dylan Johnson's gonna get the bulk of the carries, but they have to be able to run the ball. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. And it it, it all starts up front, right? Because I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, about Texas defensive line, but it's all gonna start with Washington's offensive line. Of course, everybody knows Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy. Those guys have just been wreaking havoc in the interior all year. Obviously, really stout against the run as well. 
but if Washington can find a way to get a push up front, which they've shown that they've been able to do against some of the better rush defenses in the Pac-12, yes, it's a very different, you know, different thing, but Oregon, really good defense there. Utah, another really good defense. So it's all going to start up front. And if Washington's offensive line, as we talked about earlier, being more physical, if they can be as physical as they've shown to be all season long, then I think that there's going to be a, a good chance that they can establish a run game. Yeah, we'll see. I think the only thing that's really worked so far against Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and just these defensive line is when Oklahoma went to a lot of tempo, right? You know, with Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel in that uh, Oklahoma game. So I'm not sure how much of, you know, that Washington does going up tempo, but, you know, they've had a month to prepare. And if they've looked at Texas over the course of the season, you can say that's something that gave them trouble, right? You just saw in the second half, Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat weren't as effective because they were tired, right? You know, you know, it's cool and all being 350 pounds till you're playing 60, 70 snaps a game. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, like I said, that's the, I think that's the one, you know, thing that we saw that threw this Texas defense off this year. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, with the month to prepare if we see some tempo from Washington and the Sugar Bowl on Monday night. All right. And we're, we're going to keep going because I know you've got some more questions for us. We've got some more for you, but we got mm-hmm. some more ads to get to first. And we're going to give a nice shout out to our friends over at FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. You've been thinking about joining FanDuel. There's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. And just a reminder for all of our Lockdown Huskies and Lockdown Longhorns viewers, Lars and I, we like to cook up some uh, some fun parlays on FanDuel whenever we can. And we know we're going to have some, some fun ones once the, uh, the Sugar Bowl rolls around. So stay tuned for some of those. All right. So, you know, I got a question for for Roman and Lars or however you want to take this. I think that, you know, one of the most interesting matchups in this game and one of the least uh, talked about matchups in this game, which is wild, is Braylon Trice versus Kelvin Banks. You know, two players that are going to be matching up on uh, Monday night and two players who will be matching up on Sundays in the future. (laughs) Right. Two really good players and two of the best players on each football team. Do you think that Washington can beat Texas without a monster game from Braylon Trice? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first on this one, Lars. I, I think it's possible because we've seen it for the majority of the season in terms of the stat sheet, right? Where Braylon Trice led the nation in pressures this year. But I, I, I'm sure if you look at it from the outside where you say, oh, Washington only had 19 sacks. So, you know, Braylon Trice must've had a really bad year. So that's not necessarily the case where Braylon Trice has found ways to put pressure on the quarterback time and time and time again this year. So I think that, you know, without a typical stat sheet monster game of getting multiple sacks, hitting the quarterback eight, nine, 10 times that they can absolutely find a way to do that because one guy that Lars and I are very curious to see how he's utilized is Sioux Falls transfer Zach Durfee, where we haven't seen him play yet this year, but he's a really, really good athlete. He had to sit out the season due to, uh, let's just call it the NCAA, um, uh, just there's there, there's no there's no nice way to say what they did to Zach Derby because it was truly ridiculous. But we're really curious to see how he's going to add extra depth to this pass rush rotation because they've got a lot of guys up there that we really like their potential, especially on the edge. But we're, we want to see how it works out. And we feel that the talent up there is good enough to find a way to get the job done. But it, it's all going to run through Bla- Braylon Trice in a certain way. Yeah. And I, and I think that you make such a good point about, you know, his – 
impact doesn't always show up in the box score. You know, so much of, you know, sports discourse these days is just look at the box score and then base it off of that. But I think a monster game for Braylon Trice could be five or six pressures with no sacks, right? And we've seen at times Quinn Ewers be a different quarterback when he's under pressure. So I don't think he has to get to Quinn Ewers necessarily to knock him off his pivot. I think if he can get five to six pressures in this game, I would consider that a monster game for Braylon Trice. What do you think, Lars? Yeah, I would say the exact same thing. I mean, my question, the caveat would be like, how would you define, you know, impact or big, you know, big case if it's just sacks and he might not have an impact game, but he's without a, a doubt going to make an impact on the game. I think that I could see him having seven, eight, nine pressures, maybe a sack. Cause I mean, he did get a sack, I believe on the final drive or the second to last drive last season against Texas in the Alamo bowl. So I don't, I wouldn't expect either team to have more than two sacks, but I think there's going to be a lot of pressure and it's to, to, to your point, just getting him quit, getting Ewers in this case off his spot. That's all you got to do. Right. Cause if we're talking about the secondaries, basically both being Swiss cheese at times, all you got to do is just kind of move a little bit here, move a little bit there, and, and you're probably still going to beat them. So it's just a matter of, hey, how much can you change things? How much can you delay the inevitable? And can you delay it until the clock gets triple zero? That's basically the game to win here. Yeah, I completely agree. I definitely see him having a big impact in this game. And I and I and based on what I've seen, I watched some highlights. He moves around to both sides. So it'll be interesting to you know see him against not only Kelvin Banks, but Christian Jones on the right side as well. Are we going to see Malik Ogbo? Any of the tackles by chance? <laughs> that, that might here. You know, I'm not sure. You know, Steve Sarkeesian has had a month pre- to prepare. And so, you know, one thing that was a big uh, formation for us last year was the six offensive linemen, right? Or using an offensive lineman as an extra tight end. Um, I think we've done a really good job of blocking in traditional 12 personnel this year with JT Sanders and Gunnar Helm. So, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if we'll we'll see too many outside of the, the starting five offensive linemen. But like I said, with a month to prepare, you know, Anything could happen, you know, on Monday night. We're getting closer to the 30-minute mark, right? And so I'm going to give Lars and Roman a chance to, you know, get a little spicy on the way out. The Big Ten, you know, we've talked about that, uh, is getting Washington, USC, Oregon, and UCLA next year. And I want to answer from both of you, would you make the argument that right now, in terms of football, Washington is the crown jewel of that group? Ooh, that's that's a good question. I Lars, do you want to go first? Uh, of just those four, right? We're not saying of the Big Ten in general. We're just saying those four. Yeah, just the, the four that they're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, without question. Yeah, 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 without question. Because I mean, but, USC is fledgling and and kind of coming along under. But you, but you have Lincoln Riley, right? And you have the the aura of USC, so that's that's decent. But it's not where UW is, which is competing for a national championship. Oregon is the closest. And I no doubt believe that, you know, with Nike's backing and all that, that they will kind of always be that closest option. UCLA. Well, they lost you know, twice to Washington, right? So you can't put Oregon above Washington in any metric. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I, 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 you, you, should, you think, should tell Oregon fans that. I, no, no, not, no, for, for, forget Oregon fans. The amount of AP voters and pollsters that actually had Oregon ahead of Washington in their final rankings. Be, and I, I, that. Yeah. Anyways, but, but but that's beside the point. But because if, I, we, if we go down that rabbit hole, we're gonna blow past another thirty minutes. But yeah, <laughs> Roman, you want to carry it? Yeah. No. It's 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 just that right. Where Kalen DeBoer has done such a great job of building this program. The ta- one thing that really stands out to me, and something Lars and I talked about earlier in the week, is the talent evaluation. 
where the recruiting rankings don't necessarily match up with this class. And you could almost say the same thing about last year's class, where this his group has done such a good job of evaluating talent and finding ways to make sure that the continuity in this program is going to be there long term. So that's that's one thing that I'm that I, I really like about what this program is and moving into the big 10. Yeah, no, I, I would say that there's that Washington is absolutely the, the number one program that will, that will be making that move. Two spicy answers over <laughs> UCLA, Oregon and USC. I love it. We're getting to the end of the show. So, you know, I guess Washington fans, right. If they want to come in and throw hate, I've learned that Washington fans are way spicier than I thought. <laughs> you can find me at locked on Longhorns on YouTube. You can find me at locked on horns on Twitter and Johnzo Ball, like Lonzo Ball, on my personal Twitter. Please keep it PG-13. But Roman and Lars, please let them know where they can find your content and where Longhorn fans can come, I guess, harass y'all. You know what I mean? If need be. Right? <laughs> yeah. Roman, you go first. Yeah, so, I mean, you can you can follow all our written work over on Inside the Huskies, which is at si.com slash college slash Washington. Follow me on all, all social media at rthomashoff34. Uh, you can find my last name on, on YouTube. I'm not going to spell it out for everybody. Everybody gets it wrong, so it's totally fine. But And, and then, yeah, subscribe to us on Lockdown Huskies wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so same thing, lock, Inside the Huskies, uh, all, for all the written work, uh, at Lars Hansen, same thing as the – the name it says, no space, no period, no nothing. Um, if you if you want to be a fun Texas fan, go find my one Steve Sarkeesian tweet from after the Apple the, the Alamo Bowl last year and just say hello. <laughs> there That's- you go. But yeah, great episode today. You know, great content on both sides, great analysis on both sides. And I'm hoping for uh, a fun, safe, and you know, everybody staying healthy game on, on Monday night. And I'm hoping a little bit more for a Texas victory and then moving on to the national championship. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess we'll, we'll we'll see what goes on there. I know you had to get that one in there, Jonathan. Thank you so so much for being here, Lars. Thank you for being here, and feel free to subscribe to both podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. We all do a fantastic job of making sure we update this channel with new content every single day. So make sure you stay tuned for all of that, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>